thought I'd have a plan I thought it all makes sense I really had this fantasy that has past tense And I don't know From NewSounds.org and the studios of WNYC in New York, this is Soundcheck, our series of live performances and interviews. I'm John Schaefer. Johan Lennox has one of the more unusual resumes in the music world. He's probably best known as a producer, working with hip-hop stars like Travis Scott and Big Sean, but he's also a singer, pianist, and a composer of contemporary classical music. He'll produce uncategorizable work with Pulitzer Prize-winning composer Ellen Reed, write music for the Brooklyn Youth Chorus, and cover a Nirvana song, all as part of his omnivorous musical diet. Lennox's latest album is called Johann's Childhood Chamber Nostalgia Album, and he and a small chamber music trio are going to start us off with a piece called Hopes and Dreams.
That's called Hopes and Dreams, live performance here in our studio from Johann Lennox at our piano with uh, Gabrielle Dupre playing the violin. Uh, Also here, you haven't heard her yet, is Rachel Lansky, who has both a viola and a violin with her. And you'll also be hearing Johann singing. But that Johann is, I mean, that's like a classic chamber music setup, violin and piano. Definitely. That's, yeah. <laughs> and hence the title of the record, Johann's Childhood Chamber Nostalgia Album. Did you, in fact, grow up with chamber music in the house? Um, I did not. Uh, my parents were not really musicians. They both, you know, played a little bit in high school, and that's about it. But I did, um, I did grow up going to a lot of festivals, like um, the Tanglewoods High School Festival, uh, BUTI, I went there three years for that, and I did a lot of these uh, programs. I went to New England Conservatory Prep School on Saturdays when I was in middle and high school, so definitely was around a lot of music, even if it wasn't always in my home. Right, uh, and and so the name Johann Lennox, Lennox refer that that's where Tanglewood is, right? Yeah, that's you would know that most people wouldn't, but you're absolutely right. It is uh, it's a reference to uh, to where I spent all the summers. And it is the summer home of the Boston Symphony Orchestra, a big festival there. And Johan, a reference to Bach? or Yeah, I usually say Bach in interviews, but for, for you, Brahms, I think. I shorted Johannes to Johan. Uh, okay, all yeah. right. <laughs> uh, and uh, big fan of both. <laughs> okay. Um, this is not the first kind of solo record you did, you've done. Uh, preceding this was a record called, and I have to read it because I'll never remember, it's W-D-Y-W-T-B-W-Y-G-U, which to my astonishment when I first saw it was actually a very easy acronym to work out. I'm glad you got it. Yeah, it stands for What Do You Want to Be When You Grow Up, and And, that is the name of that album, yeah. and, And it, too, it's getting into this chamber music aspect, but there are other things yeah i did two versions of it i put out uh the original version of that album has sort of the full scale contemporary pop music production with the drum programming and all that stuff Then there was an alternate version called Chamber, What Do You Want to Be When You Grow Up, which is, I just stripped the entire album down to strings, a little bit of piano and vocals. So I think that was introducing some of the people who follow me for pop music to 
the idea of like chamber instrumentation and hopefully priming them for this album, which is all the way in that world. So how did how did this happen? I, I mean, did you set out to pursue two paths in the road simultaneously or I mean how did this happen I was fully in the classical world and I guess a bit in like the Broadway world actually when I was in high school and college and then when I finished school I um, had been interested for years in like doing things that put contemporary classical music in front of audiences that don't tend to know what that is it's something I did a lot um, in undergrad where I went to Yale but not the I went to the conservatory for grad school, but the undergrad is just a college where my roommates were like biology majors and stuff like that. And like trying to appeal to them, you know, appealing to like my friends and frats and stuff like that and still trying to make something that they would find interesting out of the, the contemporary classical music I was doing. So that was always like part of my vision, I guess, even going back to high school. Um, and then I think as I graduated, realizing that pop music was like a good vessel, I guess, to maybe establish some credibility with an, with that audience mm. and, and maybe lure them into a world that could then include that classical stuff too. So when when you did start working with Big Sean and 070 Shake and, and all these people that you've worked with, what what was the call? I mean, when, when someone wants you to work on a, a track with them, wh- what are they asking you to do? I do a wide range of stuff, but definitely the string arrangements were the way in for me because that's something that I can do that most people in the LA music production world can't. And I insist on doing live. People love to ask me in my messages on Instagram or whatever, like what what violin sound packs are you using? And I always am very adamant to tell them that I don't have any of those. I have no idea which ones to even recommend. I just, it has to be live for me. I would rather have two violins on the Big Sean song stacked a hundred times than the you know the sound of a recorded orchestra played on a keyboard. Now is that in fact what you did on on Big Sean's Deep Reverence? Yeah, it tends to be something like on that one. It's vocals actually. I did a, a stacked sort of vocal harmony. Thing. I, I, I was in acapella groups in high school and college, so I have a pretty good handle on how to just quickly, like, if I want to play, you know, and just sing all of those parts one at a time, I can kind of just see the voices in my head and, and, and recreate that as a chorale. And so I do, that's the other texture I do a lot of that you're not really going to find that many people who can do that. So I, I tend to add these sort of instrumentation, sort of musical elements to songs that sometimes are produced to like a beat loop or something that doesn't maybe evolve that much. And I try to, help it it feel like a, a finished and sort of more a, a bigger scale kind of record, I guess. Right. And and so with a song like Travis Scott's Coffee Bean, what was your, I, I, I may, you've done so many of them, may I, maybe I'm unfairly asking you to remember okay. a specific track, but what, what, what did you do there? That's a cello arrangement. Uh, it's actually the last sound on the album. He has one vocal ad lib after it, but it's the last instrumental sound of the album is a cello arrangement, and my friend Isaiah Gage played it. <laughs> And for you, it's almost like it sounds like maybe the influence has gone both ways because I think of a song like Parachute Dance, for example, where those string sounds, 
they seem to be real string players. Yeah. But the way they ease into the notes is, it's almost as if they're being sampled or, you know, chopped and screwed or any. Yeah, yeah. The effect I was trying to go for on that was the sense of like a reversed sound. Yes, Where it yes. swells sort of in an unnatural way and then ends very abruptly. Where the way if you had attacked the note, it would start abruptly and kind of taper off. But um, that's an interesting one because I think actually of all the pieces on the Chamber album, that one is maybe the one that like needed the sort of production treatment the least. Mm. And like that, I think that one actually is the strongest live because musicians really can do that. They stop the sound with their left hand on the fingerboard and it kind of creates this completely dead stop and seeing it live is astounding and hearing the <laughs> recording is still pretty cool but you do kind of when you hear on the recording you think okay maybe that was done digitally when it really it's like cleaned up a little bit pretty much that's what it sounds like live so using classical musicians and their virtuosic techniques to kind of imitate the, a sound that we hear in pop music a lot sure you do write pop songs though yeah and the next song you're going to play for us is something that hasn't yet been released, but I mean, it is a song. I mean, this is a song. Words, it has a verse you know? and a chorus and <laughs> some chords. Yeah, <laughs> and it, in the version that it'll be released, and it has guitars and a lot of other stuff. But I'm bringing a stripped down version of that for you today. And and when you set out to write this, did you know? Oh, I'm going to write a pop song now, or did you not know? Yeah, no, definitely. I was trying to, and I, I actually think that that's something that I don't consider any any of what I do particularly like hybridized, or I don't really think about crossover any of that stuff like i think pop songs should be pop songs and classical music should be classical music i think that there's room for a lot of crossover with the audiences but i don't i don't try to write songs that are almost a piece or pieces that are almost a song i try to have it be the best it can at the thing that it's doing all right let's uh let's hear this new song from johan lennox called boy with blurry eyes live performance here in the studio So there is Pass out on the desk I think I've botched this life enough Let's try again the next I'll be on the moon You can be my guest It's so nice to see you when it isn't just a test Everything is awesome Boy with blurry eyes Staring into the night Doing everything I need to do To keep you off my mind Drunk in paradise I don't want to hit the ground I get in a mood when you are not around And I go round and round Simple. I want my life to be simple And I know that this part 
really lovely. It's a new song from Johann Lennox called yeah. Boy with Blurry Eyes. And you said the the, the released version when it comes out it'll be fully like, banned. Yeah. 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 That's the first time we've ever played that. Really? Yeah. In that version, yeah. Well, very nicely done. Once again, Johann Lennox uh, at our piano, Gabrielle Dupre playing violin, Rachel Lansky, viola. Uh, violin, actually, on that song. Viola coming up. Um, let me push back a little on something you said just a few minutes ago, Johan, about, you know, pop is pop and classical is classical and maybe people cross over, but isomonstrosity. (laughs) The thing you did with the composer Ellen Reed and it's got like rappers like Danny Brown on and it's just, it's this mind-bending exercise in not crossing genres, but obliterating them entirely, it seems. Yeah. This defeat like walking barefoot in the streets. Sometimes you gotta reach till you hit your peak. I mean, it is interesting. I think that it obviously has like a lot of elements of both, and it has pretty well-regarded performers from, you know, a pop and rap world and classical, but... I guess what I meant earlier is that even with that album, I at least was thinking about it as contemporary classical music, even though it does have some drum beats and it does have some rap verses stuff. But the songs are not structured in ways that you could even really call songs, in my opinion. They flow very freely. They evolve in the way that classical music does. So I would say, you know, there are examples in the past of classical music that had elements of pop music pulled into it. I mean, Mm -hmm. going all the way back to like, Rhapsody in Blue. Or bar talk, even with, yeah. you know, like folk music, stuff like that. Sure. Or, you know, whatever it is. So the point is that we weren't worried at any point of like, is this song catchy enough? Right. Is this going right. to work on the radio next to other pop songs? Is this like, are they going to remember how this chorus goes? I think it was just, it's almost just like a, in terms of just what is the format that this is going to live in and how do I want people to listen to it? I think in that sense, I think we were thinking of it as contemporary classical. people to listen to that it's a very i mean i it's it's a challenging record just to figure out what how to get a handle on it yeah I, I mean i think it was just trying to capture the state of anxiety and fractured mental spaces that i think a lot of us were occupying during covid when it was written yeah yeah the initial sort of impetus for it was just i guess realizing that we weren't going to be able to record chamber music in a room together with musicians and that 
maybe that was an opportunity to think about how we were even composing this music and if we're going to have people recording in their own separate spaces on different sounding microphones like maybe it can also be composed in a way that lends itself to that where we're piecing these elements together how we want and not just worrying about a live performance in a studio one time of a piece that's already finished before we enter the room. Well, so you're based in L.A., but you've worked on a number of occasions with one of the local groups here, the Brooklyn Youth Chorus. Yes. Uh, and they are once again on, on the, the new record on uh, Johann's Childhood Chamber Nostalgia album with a song called Deep Breath, which even here in what uh, appears to be a pretty straightforward choral piece, there's some kind of stray sounds in the background there. What is all that? Part of it's just room ambiance, and then part of it is just sort of, yeah, like effects I used in the computer just hype that up more and just give it that real kind of dusty record player kind of texture I guess that I wanted to which I think um, that's really just one example on that album but overall like I find that in the way classical music is recorded a lot of times there's an emphasis on just this like perfectly clean perfectly accurate performance and sort of a lack of exploration of the almost infinite techniques that we have to mess with audio that sometimes you could use to enhance what the piece is trying to do and really make full use of just the recorded medium in general. And so that was an example that I was trying to do that with. So very often, if you hear the room in a recording, that's something a producer will try and excise, you know, so you get the clean, you know, classical sound. You were actually kind of leaning into that. 100%. And yeah. the, the piece we played earlier, Hopes and Dreams, um, like on on the, the recorded version of that, like we had three different microphones on the violinist, Tema Watson, and I would actually switch throughout the piece depending on the character I wanted to a different microphone, which is just like something you don't really see people doing in classical music because the whole point would be to have it be seamless. Right. But instead I'm just like, oh, let's go to the room mic for this, make her sound really far away. Then let's go to, the, she had a pickup too, let's go to that and get this really kind of digital sound that almost doesn't, have the same warmth and just kind of using that as part of the composition. Yeah. So what kind of music, what's your go-to music? I mean, if you're left to your own devices and you just have like a free evening at home, what goes on the stereo? It if you have a, a stereo. Lot. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a very nostalgic person as the uh, album title and probably the one before that also suggests. So going back to like musicals I grew up on is a big part of that. Really? Uh, Sondheim, you know, yeah. whatever. We were talking about My Fair Lady before we started recording. It's just, I love the music for that. Could also be, um, you know, I listen a lot. I was uh, telling her earlier that I've been working on just a transcription of the first movement of Mahler 9 just to play on the piano, just as, wow. as a hobby. Like I don't have any plans <laughs> to perform this for anybody. But I just thought that, so I've just been listening to that a lot and just like really trying to just zero in on different performances and being like, oh, let's bring out the horns more on this yeah. one. I think that's because that, you can't do it all with two hands. So I have to kind of make decisions. And I've just been kind of that's like a hobby for me because it's not there's no pressure on my career, I guess, whether I get it right. It's just purely <laughs> from the enjoyment of it. That's an ambitious hobby. Yeah. Mahler Symphony Number no. 9 on just piano. Just the first movement. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah 28 yeah. minutes. <laughs> I think I'm, yeah. Um, You've also worked on a number of occasions with 070 Shake, yeah. the, the singer-rapper. Did you work on Black Dress? Yeah, yeah. 
I love that song. Thanks. What, what did you? What was your role there? I think on that one, this album came together pretty quickly because she was featured on a song that became a big hit in the U.S. with another artist named Ray, who I've also worked with. And I think because of that, they were like, "We got to get something out, whatever." And now we're kind of going back in and changing stuff around on this album because I think she maybe didn't want it to be that rushed. But at the time, we were really trying to get stuff done, and I ended up coming into an album that was probably like seventy to eighty percent done. And I'm really just adding elements to that. I think on that song, there's like a high synth lead that I added towards the end. It's sort of the screaming high effect that I think really brings it to the climax that it needs to. And there's sort of other subtle touches like that. But it's really, centrally, the song was there. And I'm really, I consider what I do additional production in that setting. That song has a very kind of gothic industrial yeah. sound. So she likes know, that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it seemed like I I was trying to figure out how you got into that sound world, but I follow her with that. Yeah, I think it's also I'm not in there being like asked to figure out how to make the that style of drums. I'm in there being asked to just do the Johan thing, which is a lot of orchestration, <laughs> a lot of lush chord progressions on a synth and stuff like that. I sort of just stay in my lane, and the yeah, combination yeah. <laughs> of the two elements is what makes my contributions interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, which sort of to go back to taking the first move into Mahler 9 and, and sort of bringing it down to the piano, it's the opposite of what you're often asked to do, which is to orchestrate. Sure. You know, and now yeah. you're kind of de-orchestrating. <laughs> uh, well, I think, yeah, it seems like a natural thing is, yeah, when, when you spend all that time building things up, you do become more and more curious how the things that are so built up got put together and just yeah. That's, I think, what's inspired me to start that project was just to, just really wanting to understand the voice leading in that, in that movement. Oh, come on, give us a few bars. Well, it starts like this. It doesn't ever resolve, so. Well, it's funny how, you know, in the Mahler original, those chords are very kind of lush, angsty, you know, hyper-romantic. Here, it almost sounded jazzy. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) That was was the first thing I figured out. Yeah, it just sounds like a sort of a pop song, and that's, that's, I think that one in particular is maybe why I wanted to do that. Yeah, all right. Um, Now, the song you're going to do next, uh, When I Was Your Age, on the record, the song features... Ethel, the string quartet, yes. Ethel. Um, the the piece just feels like notes, sounds that are in the process of coalescing. You know, but never quite do. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what was that? What? I think it started as a. I heard somebody practicing a chorale, like a Bach chorale, probably, 
two rooms over from in, in Steckel Hall, which was the undergrad uh, music department building at Yale. And I think just hearing this like, and like, you know, they kept starting and stopping yeah, and you yeah, just kind of yeah. get sort of like this vaguely tonal music, but it doesn't really ever go anywhere because you're just hearing these pieces of it and you can't even really make out everything that you're hearing. You're just kind of getting snatches of like, okay, I can at least tell we're in a key. <laughs> That's about it. And I think just that distant kind of like reaching for something that, and it's called When I Was Your Age because um, I guess just thinking of like memories that, and the whole album's really kind of just about memories that you sort of barely have and just trying to get a grasp on, but not really ever fully crisp, I guess. Well, and, and this is a great kind of sonic illustration of that because it, it's it's almost as if you're hearing it from a, through a haze from a distance or in a dream, you know? Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's hear this uh, trio version of When I Was Your Age uh, from the latest album called Johann's Childhood Chamber Nostalgia Album. But this is a live performance here in the studio. Thank you. 
When I Was Your Age, the name of that piece by Johann Lennox. You'll find a version of it on his album, Johann's Childhood Chamber Nostalgia Album. Uh, Johann at our piano. Once again, Gabrielle Dupre playing violin, Rachel Lansky the viola. I, I, it's, it's a remarkable listening experience, Johann. I mean, it's kind of similar to the first times that you hear ambient music, you know, some of Brian Eno's stuff, which just asks you to listen in a different way, you know? Sure. Um, really lovely piece. Thank you. So you've done so many different things, you know, hip-hop and pop and classical music of various stripes and electronic productions like Iso Monstrosity. They all seem so different. Is there anything that you take from one to the other that you can carry through all of these different sound worlds that you operate in? Yeah, I think um, I think like the training I had doing classical composition has been the the unifying thing, which is just like understanding how to structure a piece of music. I think that stuff is really applied across everything I do. I really enjoy in the pop and hip hop world being brought in to listen to like a full album that's mostly done and help with transitions and maybe suggesting some changes to order. Like I think just learning how to control like 45 minutes of music mm. or 10 minutes of music that does no breaks, you know, or something like that, which aren't really things that you learn as much when you're just studying, I guess, songwriting have, yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing I'm most interested in and I've, I've been able to kind of apply that to almost everything. Yeah. So what is the structure of when I was your age? <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it, <laughs> I don't usually do this, but yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's a kind of builds. And I mean, hopefully you can hear, it's tough. I think with a larger ensemble as the one on the album, it's easier to kind of really get the point across that there is a dynamic change happening. Yeah. yeah. But hopefully you could tell that we, yeah, it does almost get to a point of clarity. I think the, lo- the loudest dynamic marking in the, score is mezzo piano so that's the climax is somewhat quiet (laughs) that's this is like not that quiet that's sort of as far as you get yeah and then uh i mean i'm sure i don't know there's one chord that has a flat in it that's not in the rest of the piece that's sort of and that's just sort of your like 
the thing you would expect to happen as you get close to a cadence, which never comes, but right. that's after the climate. So I don't know. That's the... All right. Um, so not a standard form, but there is, you had a, a kind of a map of how the... Oh, for the, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, it, yeah, it's, 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 it builds and it has the climax in the same place right. any, any piece of music I think would have. I'm pretty sure I like actually counted the golden ratio out when I did it originally really? just to make sure it would hit exactly right. Okay. So it's yeah. based on like the Fibonacci series or something? Yeah, just whatever the literal the ratio is. So the part, the part before that climactic moment and the part after it is just kind of like exactly that okay. proportion. The, uh, the latest record is called Johann's Childhood Chamber Nostalgia Album. And um, curiously enough, the trio are going to uh, play a Nirvana song for us, which for stupid copyright reasons, we can't conclude the whole thing in the podcast. We'll give you a taste of it, though, and you can watch and hear the full performance on the website at newsounds.org. We'll post that, and I'll thank our uh, videographer, Joe Enright, and video editor, Eric Weber, and our technical director, Irene Trudell, who's been... uh, Recording the performances here in the studio today. Laura Boyman, our producer this afternoon. I'm John Schaefer. Johan, to you and the trio, thank you so much for coming in here and playing so many different styles of music for us today. It's really been fun. Thank you. All right. uh, You want to do a little of Dumb by Nirvana for us? Yep. I'm not like them, but I can pretend The sun is gone, but I have a light The day is done, but I'm having fun I think I'm dumb, maybe just happy Think I'm just happy